0: Saturday and uh, she said, well, have a blessed day. And I said, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, are you a believer? She's like, absolutely. I said, well, are you going to be in church tomorrow morning? She said, absolutely. And I said, well, where do you go to church? And she told me some missionary Baptist church and the pastor. And I said, well, that is awesome. I said, thank you for being such a blessing. And she says, aren't you thankful for salvation? I said, Absolutely. I said, "Do you want to just pull up a chair?" She's like, "I gotta go." She wanted to stay and visit, but it was it was awesome. So anyway, so then yesterday, um, yeah, we like Amazon, <laughs> so we had another Amazon truck pull in. Actually, two of them came in. My son, Inan's, like, "Dad, what'd you order this time?" I said, "It's a giant playhouse." And I'm like, "No, I'm just kidding." Um, but uh, so the two trucks came in, and it was two guys, and they were switching packages and stuff, and. One guy came up to the house and he gave me his package. And he said, uh, "He said, how are you doing today? And I said, I am blessed. He's like, oh, well, that's good. I said, are you? He said, well, yeah, I guess I can't complain. I said, are you going to church somewhere tomorrow? He's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I said, um, I said, well, you know what? Salvation is a great experience with God. And he said, you know, maybe I need to try that sometime. And I don't know if that guy's here, if you're here. <laughs> Great to have you here this morning i invited him this morning but uh, i'm just so thankful that we serve a god that is of salvation that is a god of healing that is a god that works beyond anything that we can ever imagine or think of i'm thankful for a god that takes us in our brokenness and takes our needs and he makes us whole he turns our ashes into beauty Aren't you thankful for that? Father, I'm so thankful that we can come in this room knowing that you're the God that is above all. You're the God that cares. You're the God that sees our needs, that focuses on us. And Lord, if we turn our eyes upon you and look wonderfully into your face, Lord, great things will happen and I believe that you're gonna do some amazing things. Lord, we worship you. We thank you, Jesus.
1: your promise forsake how many believe the Lord is in this place I can't go back to the beginning can't control what tomorrow will bring but I know here in the middle is the place where you
0: promised to be can we lift our voice and sing
1: this come on. I'm not enough unless you come will you meet me here again cause all I want all oh, you are, will you be me here again? As I walk now through the valley Let your love rise above everything, like the sun shaping the shadow, in my weakness your glory appears. That's time. Pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way.
0: Lord, we love you. Open our ears. Open our minds. Open our hearts. In your name we pray the name that is above all names. Amen. Can we just praise Him this morning? Thank you. Turn to one next to you and say, The Lord is in this place. Amen.
2: Friends at Berean, so grateful to connect with you and uh, just let you know we're doing well. My name is Dan Winnig. my wife Rachel, and I have four kiddos Levi, Nora, Grace, and Isaac. And we are here in the Himalayan mountains, or as we say in America, Himalayan mountains of northern India. So grateful that you guys are a part of helping us be here and be a part of the community here. The last six months have been ups and downs as we had um, our gyms open and then they were closed again because of lockdown restrictions and then we were able to reopen after a couple months through it all being able to go to small villages in the mountains provide essential needs medicine food things like that being able to stay connected with our athletes here on instagram facebook whatsapp and encourage them and then also to be able to reopen and see the gym expand and God just begin to do some neat things, especially in our coaches as there are a few of them who were discipling and just beginning to take them on the journey with Jesus. We're so grateful that we have the opportunity to be here among the unreached here in India and we pray your blessings on you. And as we look forward, we just ask you to pray with us for more opportunities for open doors, and those who were discipling, just to be able to continue to take those steps, one step at a time, closer to Jesus, as we wanna see his church planted here in these mountains. Blessings.
3: Give it up for Dan and Rachel Winnig. We hope to be able to have more of those videos where you can meet some of our international representatives. There's there's an M word we don't use depending on what part of the world they're in, so I think you get the picture there, but remember them in prayer. Also, just uh, want to take a couple minutes to chat for a little bit. I try to not waste time, but there are a couple things we need to talk about. And Friday night, Women's Conference, how many of you enjoyed that? Let me hear your hands Have you enjoyed that. The guest speaker was Evangelist Carol Pilcher. She did a great job. I heard great things, and a number of you worked with her. I watched buzzing around here, setting up. So, if you helped uh, with planning or setup or teardown, would you just stand up so we can say thank you to you for your help? Come on, stand up. You know who you are. Give them all a big hand. Carol, stand up as well. You need to stand up. Give them all a big hand. I came in here after it was done, and it looked like there was a peacock fight up here at front. I'll let you imagine what really happened then. Also, I want to take just a minute to talk about Connect Groups. If we could put that slide up. This will be our last week to uh, ask you to volunteer to either host or um, lead a Connect Group. Um, And there have been a number of questions asked. I want to give just a little bit of clarity so you know what's coming, what's happening. You can text the word uh, GROUPS to 515-512-8878. And we'll put you in the queue. There'll be some training. The fact that you sign up doesn't mean that you'll be hosting or leading. It means you'll take the next step of training. Uh, We'll have to have background checks, those kinds of things. And you may decide in the training that it wasn't what you wanted to do. So no one's obligated anything. What are we going to do? We're going to do three trimesters, six weeks each time for you to connect there'll be several components there'll be a discipleship a fellowship and a mission component that you'll all have opportunity to participate in i believe that connect groups are the next step forward for us to build community we need to interact with people amen so a couple of things have been asked can i change groups um yes you're not you're not you're not locked in for the rest of your life um your leader may want you to change groups so you know who knows what'll happen there Uh, We're not going to lock you in like that between sessions. You can't do it during the six weeks, but after the six weeks, if you want to join another group. In fact, we hope some of that will happen for kind of a cross-pollination. Do we have to have kids in our group? So let me respond to it this way. No one has to do anything. I hate the word have to. No one has to do anything. But if we're going to really fulfill the mission of transferring faith to the next generation, We need to create opportunities for them to interact with adults and other students in a home environment. We need that to happen. So we will teach you ways to do that and accommodate that and what some of the options are for you. And um, so let's just keep that in mind. I know How many know that kids can be inconvenient? Three of us. The rest of you are not going to tell the truth because your kids are watching right now. But sometimes it's a challenge and we want to, I get that. Um, It's a lot simpler sometimes to have coffee with a friend in a coffee shop than having coffee in your home with rugrats gnawing on your ankles. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Let's just be real here. So I get that. I understand that. Uh, but we want to accommodate a healthy discipleship environment for adults, youth, and children as well. And we'll talk about how to do that. So if you want more information and want to join the queue, um, then do that by texting groups to 515-512-8878. This is the last Sunday that will be open. And then we'll be doing some training and development of that program. And I want to say a special thanks to Pastor Kevin for doing the coordination <laughs> of this event for us. If you love Jesus, say amen. Amen. Want to begin a new series this morning. It's going to be really lengthy, about three weeks. Titled Old Paths. Jeremiah 6.16 says this. Thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. There you will find rest for your souls, but they said, We will not walk in it. Now, I want to build a case at the beginning of the message this morning that there's a difference between the old paths and the old ways. I'm not advocating going back to the old ways. I am advocating that there were some things that Pentecostal Christ followers understood in generations gone by that we've allowed a Neo-Pentecost to take away from us and replace our language. What we say matters and the terminology we use matters. And I want to talk to you about some of those and maybe challenge you to go deeper in your faith. If anything needs to happen in the culture we're living in, it's people who have more than a half inch deep relationship with Christ, but one that sinks roots down deep. And I think there's some old paths that we've forgotten about that I'd like for us to recapture. Now I have on the platform here, this is a treasure for me, um, the founding pastor of Berean Chapel was um, evangelist prior to that, Nellie Cox. Nellie Cox began Berean Chapel in 1939. She co pastored with her husband, James Cox, until 1943, and then she married R.A. Mason and continued to co-pastor with him until 1957. And when she retired in 1957 from pastoring Green Chapel, their Sunday morning average attendance was 125. And in those days, that was a successful large church. She did a great job. Well, some months ago, an elderly gentleman walked in the lobby. I happened to be here. And he said, I've got something I'd like you to have. I don't know what to do with it. And I said, well, what is that? And this was in a large Ziploc baggie. And he said, this is my grandmother's Bible. Well, that didn't mean anything at the moment, but he said, my grandmother was Nellie Cox who started this church. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it really was exciting to me. I have the Bible of the founding pastor of Berean Church here in my hands. Now, I will tell you that when I do funerals, if I can get the Bible of the deceased um, sometimes that's really helpful, not always, but sometimes when you see their notes and what they've underlined. And I've spent some time going through this Thompson Chain Bible. How many of you know what a Thompson Chain Bible is? And uh, I think this one was, I wrote down the copyright date, um, something like it was in the 1930s, this particular edition. And she has, do you remember these little tabs? So you could find the, the, uh, the book of the Bible quicker. How many have ever used these tabs? oh, look at you. Come on. Learn the order. You don't need to no, know. I'm kidding. I'm just joking with you. And so I've looked through here, the things that she underlined, the things where she placed notes. And it was just, it was just really encouraging to me, the things that stood out to her. So I'm not going to take the morning to read to you, but this was a treasure for me. And I talked to the uh, man last night who brought it in. He's the grandson of Nellie Cox, and Nellie passed it on to her daughter-in-law, Mabel Cox, who passed it on to him, and he said, I don't know what to do with this, but I want you to have it. And then the two things that he said to me that were interesting in that is that he said his uh, mother had the gift of tongues, giving utterance. And his grandmother, Nellie, had the gift of interpretation, and he said, I don't have either one of those, but what I'm telling you is that that Pentecostal experience was at least understood and communicated down through the generations. So, I think if you're going to go to heaven, you need to have a Bible worn out like this because we believe about old paths. No, that's not really what I'm going to say. But how many of you now rely on a digital device as your primary Bible? Come on, hold up your hand. Your primary Bible is a digital device. That's right. You can still go to heaven. There are a few of you that are willing to admit that. I am old enough to be, I like to feel the paper and smell the binding and all of that. So that, and the leather, but, but that doesn't mean, okay, uh, this is the old ways. The content are the old paths. And so it doesn't matter if you have a worn-out Thompson chain or a worn-out Dake Bible. I question your eschatology if you have one of those. But a worn-out Date Bible or what you have or a digital device. It's not about the method. It's about the content, the substance. Is that making sense to you? One of the things when I came to Berean, I've talked about this a lot, that one of the values of Brian was Sunday school. And if, if the value is Sunday school, then all you've got to do is have a meeting place, have a juggler and get kids there. Because it's not about a time or a name or a place. What was the value that was being communicated through Sunday school? It was discipleship. Sunday school is a method. Discipleship is a value. Is that making sense to you? At Mouseland in Orlando, there's a a ride called the Carousel of Progress. Have any of you seen the Carousel of Progress? One, two, three, come on, great. We've got a club here, the Carousel of Progress. And what's really interesting there is it shows you a lot of the old ways. It used to be that refrigerators were wooden boxes with ice jammed into it. Now instead of putting your ice in, a wooden box, we have a metal box that gives ice back to us. I prefer the new ways. Hello? Things have changed, but some things haven't changed, and that's hospitality and family and caring for one another. Over the years, many of our methods as a church have changed. I remember when we just had hymn books, and then we added Chorus books. Do you remember the chorus books that were stuck inside the hymn books? and we would wait for a fellowship meeting. Probably none of you remember what a fellowship meeting is. Churches would come together, and we'd hope that when we all came together for this monthly fellowship meeting, that somebody would have learned a new chorus and teach it to us, and we'd take that back. And that's the way we got new music. Someone heard a new chorus somewhere, and we'd put that in our chorus book. And then we graduated to the overhead projector. When I was pastoring in Ames, we had dual screen overhead projectors. I'm telling you what, we were cutting edge, not. And now we have video projection, all of the stuff that goes with that. First church, when I, or when we went to, uh, first church that we pastored on the platform, they had vinyl cu- uh, rolled custom K-U-S-T-O-M, custom speakers sitting on the platform, like a 50s um, rock band. How many remember those? Some of you will remember all that. And the sound was like this. Welcome to the church today. You know, it sounded like it was coming out of a box from Radio Shack. And now we have all this technology that helps us do things better, I remember when we used to line up at the back as a pastoral team. Suit and tie required. March to the front and everyone sit on the platform. Anybody remember those days, those old methods? Thank you, Jesus, we don't do anything like that anymore. The reason we quit is because if you have to sit up here the whole service, it'll steal the anointing before you preach, watching all the things that go on. Hallelujah. And so we've changed the method. We haven't changed the message. Piano and organ were what we had. That was a big deal. And I remember in one church, we added a snare drum and there were some eyebrows raised. And then you added a tambourine and we realized those didn't work and we got rid of those, thank the Lord. And the piano and organ gets replaced by an entire worship band. But it's not about the method, it's about the worship that happens. Small churches had impromptu open response time. Does anyone have a testimony they'd like to share? Does anyone have a prayer request? And I'll never forget one Sunday. We had a special outreach Sunday and we had guests all over the place and it was Sunday morning and I took open prayer requests. It was the last Sunday I did it when one lady said, I want you to pray for my neighbor. Her name is Susie Smith and she's having an affair with Bob Jones and I want you to pray that God will, dear Lord, what just happened? Would it surprise you if I told you those people never came back? (laughs) Old methods. I'm not trying to advocate old methods, but I do want to advocate the old paths. Our language has changed over the years, and that has shaped our theology. I began to think while I was at general council, there was a song that was sung, and I began to think about some of the language that we rarely hear anymore. And I want to challenge you over the next three weeks that we should return, as Jeremiah calls us, to some of the old paths where victories were won, where the presence of God was rich, not the old methods, but the old paths, and we'll find peace and blessing that is lacking from the contemporary church, in my opinion. We're going to talk this morning about an old phrase that you may not have ever heard. We used to talk a lot about praying through. Anybody remember hearing about praying through? How many have never heard that term before? How many of you are no longer listening to this message, apparently? (laughs) We've replaced that with what? Praying through, what did that mean? All it meant was You pray until you know God has heard you. You pray until you know there's been a breakthrough. You pray until you know that God has changed something in you. You pray for someone and stay there praying until God heals them. We used to have all-night prayer meetings, believing God for a breakthrough. And that's been replaced with positive confession, name it and claim it, and group sentence prayers and wonder where the power has gone. Now I'm not against being positive, I don't like to be around negative whiners, but I think there's more to just simply confessing it and believe it'll happen. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking and you will receive, not seek and keep on seeking. Those words are in the continuing tense in the Greek, it's not ask and receive, seek and find, knock and open. He's saying to ask and keep asking and you'll receive knock and keep knocking and it'll be open seek and keep seeking and you will find and I've listened to a a younger generation ridicule the idea of tarrying in prayer which was part of that praying through so I simply want to challenge you this morning that there are some there are some victories that won't be won by a confession of faith and a sentence prayer that leaves it on the table That there's some things that are experienced spiritually when you dig down deep enough to know that God has heard you and the answer has come. It's not a hyping myself up and holding to a confession. It's knowing beyond knowing that God has heard my prayer. And I'm convinced that if we would get back to praying through, we'd see some victories happen that we've not seen for a long time. Do you want to see our communities changed? and learn to pray through. Do you want to see your family changed? and learn to pray through. Do you need a breakthrough in your life? Then learn to pray through. Stay at the altar of prayer until the answer comes. Well, I just believe if I say it, he'll do it. Well, you're not in charge, he is. And one old pastor said that sometimes you gotta pray long enough until you get under the spout where the glory comes out. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is moving you into a place that you can receive what He's wanted for you all along. And there's a battle that goes on. So I want to take you to some places in the in the Old Testament and watch what happens. It also happens in the New Testament, but they're really powerful stories. Let's talk about Elijah. Elijah prayed in times of drought. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a great story of Elijah the prophet. And I love Elijah. He's one of my favorites. Because Elijah wasn't, I don't know if I should say this. Elijah wasn't a peacemaker and certainly wasn't politically correct. His goal, when I say wasn't a peacemaker, wasn't to just be happy and get along. It was to confront the ungodliness of the day. And Elijah bursts on the scene. We don't know anything about him until chapter 17. And it simply says this about Elijah. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there'll be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I don't know where he came from. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a warm-up time. We don't, he just walks in to the throne room of the king and says, it's not going to rain according to my word. That's kind of confrontational. It's like, who in the world are you? And let me sidebar for a minute. <laughs> I was talking to an evangelist friend of mine yesterday, and this subject came up unrelated to this message. And he's working on a message about the spirit of Elijah in the contemporary context, and that we need men and women of God who are more concerned about the glory of God than their, than their comfortable status. Then rather than trying to placate the culture, have enough anointing and enough touch of God to be confrontational in the culture and call things as they are. The voice of the prophet needs to return to the church. The voice of the prophet needs to return to the community. Someone like John the Baptist crying out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Elijah did that. Well, because of that, it didn't rain. The drought happens. And finally, God says to Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain. So he's on the way to see Ahab and there's a number of things that happen. And one of the things that happens on the way when he meets Ahab, he has the confrontation with the prophets of Baal. How many of you remember that story? Well, since most of you don't, when he met the prophets of Baal, here's what Elijah said. Let's find out if Baal be God, we'll worship him. If God be God, we'll worship him. And we'll decide that the God who answers by fire, he is God. So the Baal prophets went first. They set up their sacrifice, and I could take time to tell you the trickery that they used in their day, but Elijah's right there, and they jump, and they shout, and they cut themselves, and Elijah says, where's your God? Is he on a trip? The living Bible says, well, maybe he's using the bathroom. I mean, Elijah's just goading them and poking at them. This guy's going to die if God doesn't come through. You're going to die. Nothing happens, so it's Elijah's turn. He builds an altar to God, puts an animal on there, and then soaks it with water. He's gonna make it impossible for man to answer the challenge. He calls on the God of Israel, fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, and licks the water up out of the trench, and Elijah says, kill all the prophets of Baal, and all of them by the Israelites who are gathered are put to death, and the voice of Baal is stopped at least for a time. Then Elijah, after all that's done, says, go up, eat, and drink. For I hear the sound of abundance of rain. That's called a positive confession. We get that and we'll do that and we'll say what God has said, but we don't do what follows. If you want there to be the sound of abundance of rain, you've got to do more than just make a proclamation. You've got to engage the spiritual world and get involved in praying through. And Elijah begins to pray. Ahab went up to eat and drink, Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, bowed down to the ground, put his face to his knees, sent his servant out. Look over the sea. What do, you, what do you see? I don't see anything. Elijah continues to pray. Seven times he sends his servant out. Six times the servant comes back and sees nothing. But on that seventh time, when Elijah continues to pray, he's going to pray through to breakthrough. He's going to pray the will of God thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven God I've heard what you've said and I'm going to do the work spiritually to see it happen and on the seventh time the servant comes back and says I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising up out of the sea and he says to Ahab let Ahab know better get off this mountain while you can because there's a shower about to fall and they run off the mountain as God Soaks the land with rain because a man of God was willing to hear God's voice, proclaim it, and then pray through till the answer comes. What if he had quit after six looks? What if he had said, I guess God's not in this? I guess I missed it. There'd have been no revival. I want to challenge you that when you're in spiritual drought, when it's dry all around you, you need to pray through until it begins. Come on, is there someone in the house right now? Until the rain starts to fall again. Why keep praying? Why should we do that? Why can't we just pray once? Let me tell you what I believe, why it matters. I believe that prayer is like medicine in James chapter 5. I believe that we have to get in the place where we're enforcing the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's how Jesus told us to pray. And you keep praying the will of God. God, I pray for revival in America. God, I pray for my unsaved loved one to come back to faith in you. God's already declared what his will is. But will there be someone who will stand in the gap that will make up the hedge, that'll keep that prayer pressure on, that'll give an avenue for the Spirit of God to flow through? He says as much as he wanted to spare the land because there was no one standing in the gap in prayer. He had to bring judgment on the land when that is not what he wanted. How much in America would change if we'd move beyond just a positive confession and then begin to pray until the answer comes, until there's a breakthrough, until the dry ground begins to soak up the rains of heaven and we'd see revival break through our nation and our church. If this church will begin to pray through, we'll see hundreds of men and women come to faith in Christ. We'll see sicknesses eradicated, families put back together. We might even see the dead raised to life. We need to pray in times of drought. When you are dry and empty, don't withdraw, don't stay home. Don't back up and say, I just don't believe this anymore. Get on your face. Begin to believe God that there'll be a fresh outpouring. God, refresh my soul. Rain in the dry ground of my life. David said, wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's where I am. That's where I'm going to pray. And I'm going to keep praying till the answer comes comes in times of drought pray through Daniel chapter 10 you need to pray in times of demonic resistance tell you what Daniel 1 to 6 on Wednesday night as we've been journeying through that Daniel 1 to 6 was fun (laughs) 7 8 9 and 10 are right I'm just telling you Daniel sees these things. He sees these visions. They're overwhelming. They're challenging to him. They're beyond his understanding. And I want you to hear what he says at the end of chapter 8. At the end of chapter 8, Daniel said, I was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. From what? From the revelation. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I went up (coughs) about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision it was beyond my understanding so what does he do the revelation was bigger than he was was more than he could understand It was troubling. It was a heavy load. And I shared on Wednesday night, I'm just going to tell you that when the Spirit of God moves in the room, the word glory refers in Hebrew to a heaviness. There's an exhausting that happens in the physical. When God is doing something powerful in the supernatural, and Daniel's experiencing that and he's exhausted and he's seeking God. So chapter 10, verse 3. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotion at all until the three weeks were over. He humbled himself and prayed. He prayed and fasted for three weeks. And during that time, nothing happens. And just as a sidebar, When you're seeking God and praying through and you're waiting for there just to be this great power, often it happens after you're done with your time of prayer and you're seeking God. And Daniel for three weeks has no answer, but something happens at the end of three weeks. I want you to look at verse four if you're there with me. Get your shouting clothes on now. Three weeks, exhausted, exhausted, praying, seeking God, what does this mean? And at the end of 21 days, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing at the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up before me, and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist, his body was like topaz. Who, his face was like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I Daniel was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me didn't see it. Terror overwhelmed me. Who did he see? Well, it seems like I've heard a description of this man before earlier in Daniel. It seems like I heard a description of this man from John the Revelator and I'm going to tell you after three weeks of seeking and fasting and praying the pre-incarnate Christ shows up God himself brings an answer and you need to pray until Jesus comes by and when Jesus comes by the entire course of your life will change then Gabriel comes the announcing archangel to give the interpretation Daniel chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. I want to read those to you this morning. And he said to me, 21 days of nothing, no answer, tired, waiting. O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I've been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said, do not fear, Daniel. Watch, watch. For from the first day, that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard and I've become, I have come because of your words. When did God hear? On the first day. God's ear wasn't deaf. He hadn't turned his back. He wasn't ignoring Daniel, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. There is a demonic warfare that's going on over the nations. There are demons, and I don't want to go too far in that because I don't believe in spiritual mapping, but I will tell you that there are demons that are assigned to wreak havoc in various parts of the planet. And the demon assigned to Persia rose up And withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For if I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So I want you to imagine what happens. Daniel's praying 21 days. And there's a battle going on in the heavenlies between demonic forces and Gabriel. And he's there by himself holding them off. But he can't win. He can't push him back until Michael, the warring angel, shows up. And what's fueling that? What's empowering that? The Daniel is interceding for the nation. He's not even aware. Listen, he's not even aware of spiritual warfare. You don't need to know demons by name. You don't have to study them. You don't have to understand them. Just talk to Jesus and keep the prayer power in place. Keep driving for the answer because there's a battle going on in the heavenlies. Come on, church. Let's stand against the forces of evil and drive back the darkness and stand where God tells us to stand. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. What if he had stopped praying after 20 days? What if he'd stopped praying after 15? What if he'd stopped praying after 10? We wouldn't have the rest of the book of Daniel. But Daniel cared enough... Listen, he cared enough about this generation and the next generation. You want to see next generation ministry? It happens right here in Daniel. Daniel's going to find out a solution. What's the answer for this generation and generations to come? And God, I'm going to stay here till you answer me. I'm going to sacrifice sackcloth and ashes. And I'm not going to tell you right now, I understand everything that happens in the supernatural realm because I'm not in charge of that realm. I can tell you what I read in scripture and that we need to stand in the gap and we need to war against darkness, and you don't have to name the king of Persia. Daniel didn't do that. He just kept seeking God, and God released Gabriel, and he kept seeking God, and God sent uh, Michael. Daniel didn't call for Michael. Daniel didn't command Gabriel. He left that all in the hands of God Almighty himself and kept seeking heaven, and God arranged the battle that would take place. You see, we're living in a dispensation of mankind that God has limited himself to our free will. And if we don't engage the process, there'll be no victories that are won for the kingdom because this just isn't just about God having his way. It's about us entering into preparation for ruling and reigning with him we're going to rule over cities in eternity I don't know what that's going to look like but you're on probation right here you're in you're in uh, you're in training camp right now you're in boot camp getting ready for what's going to happen throughout eternity and Daniel keeps praying and in his warfare please hear me clearly this morning there's nothing here of naming demons and driving them out there's nothing here of naming um, angels and commanding them to go forward there's only Samuel, seeking God for an answer and as long as prayer keeps going up there's an authority there that releases the spirit of God coming down and the power of God to be released and he dispatches angels in your behalf he dispatches power in your behalf as long as you keep seeking God and don't get distracted by some neo-pentecostal spiritual warfare plan that doesn't work You need to pray in times of demonic resistance. Spiritual warfare is real. Daniel did not engage in battling demons. Hear me now, he didn't engage in battling demons. He just sought the Lord. I'm gonna tell you, I've encountered demon-possessed people. I've encountered demon activity. I've been engaged in legitimate spiritual warfare and I'm gonna tell you that the answer is not to fight the devil on his terms or become engaged in some kind of Um, strategy against the enemy, you just keep going to the throne room. Come on. You just keep going before the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for his will to be done, ask for the answer to come. And I don't know, this just blesses me. Gabriel is up there fighting against the spirit of Persia. And while he's up there, Daniel's on the ground oblivious, seeking God, but it's releasing a power that enables Gabriel and Michael to engage in the fight and drive the enemy back. Your prayers combat the warfare of the devil. We need to pray in times of demonic resistance. We're going to go lastly to Jacob. You need to seek God in times of desperate need. Oh, old Jacob, isn't he a hoot? Because he's like all of us. You know what the name Jacob means, right? Surplanter, deceiver. He did what was necessary to win. He could have ran for office. (laughs) Jacob's in trouble because there's a tension between um, Isaac and um, his wife. (laughs) There's There's this tension going on And so Jacob engages with his mother to steal the birthright from his brother. And when he steals the birthright and steals the blessing, mom says to him, you need to get on the road and get out of here because Esau's going to kill you. And Esau declared when he found out what was going to happen, he wanted to kill his brother. And uh, Jacob runs for his life. He goes into the foreign land and all the things that happened there and the journey back where we come in the story this morning. Is that he wants to reconcile with Esau and he sends a peace offering home. Word comes back uh, while we were on the way, we discovered Esau's coming for you. Now, do you remember Esau? He's the outdoorsman. He's the big guy, Harry. eats raw ram liver. I don't know what he does. The hunter. Jacob's the gardener, the gatherer. Um, I'd be scared too if I were Jacob. He doesn't know what he's gonna do. He sends more gifts. He divides his family, sends one one way and one the other way. So Esau can only kill half of them. He stays alone in the camp, worried about what he's going to lose. What's last he knew, Esau wanted to kill him. And I don't know if you know this, but when someone has decided they want to kill you, you're not likely to talk them out of it. He's angry. Come on. Anybody ever had anybody angry at you? (laughs) Road rage. Chapter 32, verse 24. Let's go up to 22. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and wrestled with a man until daybreak. I don't know who this man was. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it wasn't an angel. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a human, which leaves me with one conclusion. Throughout the Old Testament, what we see if we're looking for it are appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ. Jacob, I've got a plan for you. Remember, the elder will serve the younger. Through them, all nations of the earth will be blessed. That God had a plan for Jacob from the very beginning that would birth a great nation that would bless the world. And he's there wrestling. And it says the man couldn't overpower him. What does that mean? It means that Jacob wouldn't let go. He wouldn't give up. He's wrestling all night long with this divine being and nothing. He's not giving up. And his line all through it is, I will not let you go until you bless me. And I'm telling you, there are times that you need something from God that aren't gonna happen because you just said it, because something in you needs to break. Something in you needs to change. Are you hearing me right now? And so as they wrestle, finally, the, the divine being hits him in the hip, knocks it out a joint, and says to Jacob, what is your name? My name is Jacob. He said, you will no longer be Jacob. You'll be Israel. You'll have power with men and with God because you prevailed. What just happened? Jacob prayed through until God changed his name and God changed his walk. And rather than changing Esau, he changed Jacob. There's circumstances where you don't need your enemy to change. You need you to change and you need to stay there in prayer until something happens that changes you. Jacob's situation isn't going to change, but his character had to change. And he got up there, no longer Jacob the deceiver, but Israel, prince with God. And from that day forward, his walk had changed. How can I tell if you've been with God long enough and prayed through? It'll change. Come on, it'll change the way you walk. Come on, it'll change the way you walk. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change your identity and character. They'll see something about you that's different that they've never seen before. My dad was, was unchurched, and I've told you the end of the story there when he walked away from God, but I want to tell you the beginning of his journey that I still pray God was able to reach through. My dad was not a talker, but when he gave his life to Jesus... They quit calling him at work, they watched him, watch what was happening, he quit drinking, he quit smoking, he quit cussing, he quit doing all the things that he'd done before, and they started calling him Honest Abe. I'm telling you, when you have really encountered Jesus, it'll change your name, it'll change your walk, it'll change everything about you, and people will notice that there's been a difference. You can't just say, oh God, deliver me from Esau, but rather, oh God, change Jacob, a deceiver. Into Israel, prince with God, so they have power with man and power with God, and that only happens till you pray to a breakthrough. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning, Pastor Nathan? Would you come? Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, free of struggle with God and with men, and have prevailed. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him. Isn't that great? The sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. And what happens? Now God reconciles Jacob and Esau, because God didn't need to change Esau. He already had. Jacob just didn't know it. But he needed to change Jacob. Some of us need some things in us to change. And sometimes you need someone to walk with you. You need a brother or sister. You might need a professional to talk to you. I get all that. I'm for all that. But there's sometimes you just got to get alone. Jack Hiles, one of the great preachers of an era gone by, Baptist pastor, talks about the day that his anointing and touch of God changed in his life. After a Sunday morning service, and the elderly lady walked up to him and said, Pastor, that was a great message, you're a great preacher, it was a great worship service, but I'm really concerned. What is that you're concerned about? She said, the touch of the sanctuary is gone. The presence of God is gone. We're all jumping through the hoops and doing all the right things, but there's no presence of God. He didn't get mad. He tells how he went to his office that afternoon, didn't go to eat, dressed in a suit, he laid on the floor and cried out to God hour after hour all afternoon and into the evening. He said, I went to the pulpit that night. My suit was wrinkled, my shirt was wrinkled, I was disheveled. But right before service, I had a breakthrough, and God touched me, and the touch of the sanctuary of the holy came back that night, and our church has never been the same. Why? Because he prayed through to a breakthrough that changed him. Sometimes we need to change. And let me tell you, uh, you're not going to pray through this morning. You're not going to pray through in a group very often. Praying through is when you designate, set aside time. God, I'm not leaving this place until I hear you. I've had places in my life. I had a place in Ames back in the back of a park where there was a creek and no one ever went there and i can't tell you how many times i sat there and said god i don't care shut off my phone i'm gonna stay here till you change me i've got things on the inside of me that are broken there are things in me that need to be fixed and i'm staying here and i would cry and call on god or drive out in the country and just stay there somewhere until he came by and something on the inside broke so that something on the inside could be fixed. And there have been many times I've walked with a limp after he changed my name. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm not against sentence prayers and positive confession, but we've let that replace praying through. What might happen if in times of drought, We said, we're not getting up until the rain comes. What if in times of demonic oppression, we sought God until Gabriel came by and gave an answer? And what if in times of desperate need, we stayed before God until a man came and wrestled us through the night and we got up and walked different? I'm not asking you to make a commitment to a certain amount of time every day. I'm just saying I'm, my prayer is that God will rekindle something from our old paths, that we will recapture what it means to pray through. What might happen, listen, if we quit playing at prayer and start praying through, what might happen could we stand together and let's just ask God to give us revelation this morning to give us a hunger and a passion that we will seek God together that we will find a way to pray through until the victory comes
1: was a wretch, I remember who I was. I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time. The sin separated, the breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the castle, you had me in your side. So you made a way across the great divide. Left behind heaven's throne to build a here inside. There at the cross, you paid the debt I owe. Broke my chains, freed my soul. For the first time, I. At home. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. Brought me from the dark. Took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. Oh. me say Thank you, Jesus. You have saved my life. Brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Come on, sing. There is nothing stronger than the one say
3: early in ministry I was in high school in church someone talk about a struggle they're having and this was common Carol would say this was common someone would say Barry I think what you need to do is you need to pray through we would challenge each other before we did anything else you need to pray through you need more than than, and I'm for those those bullet prayers in those moments you're driving along you're talking with God but when you're facing the depth of a challenge you need to pray through till a man shows up and wrestles you through the night and you become different than you were so i want you to put that in your toolkit look around at your life where in me outside of me or above me do i need to pray through what might happen in America if the church of Jesus Christ would pray through, we might see revival in our land. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated just for a moment. Again, I just want to say thank you for your faithful financial support. Um, Please continue honoring God and blessing God with your giving. So thankful for that and appreciate everything that you're doing. And let's believe that as we come into this fall season that it will be a new season of harvest because the people of God have learned how to pray through till the answer comes. Amen. God bless you. Love Jesus. Let me hear your hands. What a great God we serve.